Let me invite you, if you haven't already, to open your Bible with me to Paul's first letter to Timothy. First Timothy, this morning we're looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. We believe as a church that the Bible is a, is a gracious gift from God to us. We believe that in the, in the scriptures we find God's commandments, God's will. Most importantly and ultimately, the Bible is a testimony to Jesus Christ and his salvation of sinners. So we, we love the Bible. We teach the Bible. And throughout uh, the, the, our year as a church, we, we teach through the Bible, verse by verse. So we just finished a, a sermon series through Colossians. That was 10 weeks or nine weeks, nine or 10 weeks. Can't remember now. And we are about to launch into 1 Timothy, which we will spend the next 10 weeks journeying through. So there's two letters that we have recorded from, from Paul to Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy. Uh, this, this morning, we're going to study 1 Timothy. And Timothy was a young pastor in a church in Ephesus. And Paul had mentored this guy, Timothy. He was like a, he was like a son to Paul. And Paul writes this letter to his son in the faith to press on, to persevere. He writes on how to deal with the false teachers and teachings that were going about in the church. He, he says in chapter 1, verses 18 through 19, he says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. So Paul is essentially writing to Timothy, keep going, hang in there, persevere, fight, hold fast with a good conscience. Now, probably one of the most clear, explicit purpose statements of 1 Timothy is found in chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. Those, those verses will be up on the screen. Paul writes this, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Why we've titled this sermon under the, under the sermon there, 1 Timothy, you see, household of God. This is the clearest purpose statement we see in 1 Timothy, and this is why Paul is writing to Timothy, so that people in the church, the, the living church of God, the pillar and buttress of truth, may know how to behave, may know how to act, may know how to conduct themselves and what it means to be in the family of God. So that's what we're looking at in 1 Timothy. Those who have been brought into the family of God, into the household of God, are to kind of have new values. They take orders from the new father. There's new authority. There's new ways I'm supposed to, to treat one another and treat those who are outside of the household of God. And this is what 1 Timothy is all about, living out the implications of the death and resurrection of Jesus, living out the gospel. The gospel of Jesus in 1 Timothy, we see the gospel is to affect Christians in tangible ways and how they behave and act towards one another. Right? We believe this, right? When a person receives the gospel, when they believe in Jesus, when they trust in Jesus, their life is changed. It looks like a changed life. And within this general call to godliness in 1 Timothy, within this personal life change, there's also an order, a structure that Paul is going to give Timothy. So there'll, there'll be teachings on church leadership, who is qualified to serve as church leaders and and how should those in the church relate to one another, those who are younger? How do they relate to those who are older and vice versa, right? So this is what we're going into, First Timothy. I'm excited. And we're looking at the opening passage this morning, verses 1 through 11. And I think right in the verse 1 and through verse 3, you can kind of hear the fatherly love and care that Paul has for Timothy. Listen to what he writes. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, 
by command of God, our Savior, and, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. My true child in the faith. You see the, the fatherly you know, love that he has for Timothy in this in this moment, it kind of begins like a lot of letters do. Who is it from? Who is it written to? And then a, a blessing, a welcome, a greeting. And then he gets right into it, verse 3. Paul wants Timothy to lead well and teach well. He doesn't want the church to get off path, to swerve off the truth. And he says, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So Paul's a missionary. He he has gone about Asia Minor, planting churches, starting churches, encouraging churches. And he has told Timothy before he left him in Ephesus and he was going to Macedonia, hey, don't let people teach different doctrine. And he's reminding him of this call that he told him. I urged you as when I was going to Macedonia and remain in Ephesus, Charge certain persons not to devote themselves to different doctrine. Don't let them teach anything different. So he's going on to Macedonia and he's instructed him. And now that he's away from Timothy, he's writing him this letter to instruct him on how he might oppose the the critics or or what is the purposes? How How does his false teachers get off base from the true gospel? Now, Macedonia was a Roman province, was about 300 miles northwest of Ephesus, or we might recognize some of the cities that are in the Roman province of, of Macedonia. Uh, we have Philippi, right? There's a letter written to the Philippians that we have. There's Thessalonica. There's a letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Thessalonica called Thessalonians. There's another city that you might, if you're familiar with the, the New Testament scriptures, Berea. These cities were all in this Roman province of Macedonia. So a modern day equivalent would be like if Imagine an older missionary has come to uh, a church in Eugene, Oregon, and he's going to leave this church in Eugene, Oregon to a a younger pastor, a pastor that he's been mentoring, and he's going to go to the great Washington province of King County to to start churches, to do more work. That's about that distance, I think. Maybe I'm wrong, but from Oregon, right about 300 miles. And he's going to go encourage churches and Christians in this area. And he's, he's writing him, hey, don't let anyone devote themselves to, to the right teaching. And then he's going to encourage Timothy, devote yourself to the true teaching. Now, this week, I, a, a friend of mine let me borrow his Thatcher or DeThatcher. You guys ever use one of these tools? I've never used a DeThatcher. It was hard work. <laughs> My friend prepared me. He's like, Daniel, prepared to do work like you're digging a hole with a shovel. It's hard work. And a thatcher is a little tool. It kind of looks like a, an angry rake. <laughs> it's got these little blades and it, it digs into the soil. And it, it's, the, the thatcher is to rip out dead grass and moss and anything that's under the blades of grass to promote a, a healthy environment for grass to grow, right? For the oxygen and sunlight to hit the soil and to promote good growth, right? Julie, you probably know way more about healthy soil and, and how that all works. I was learning about it's hard work. <laughs> that was the first lesson I learned was, man, this, the thatching is hard work. And in order to have a lawn that's healthy and growing, I, you have to remove what's dead and what's hindering and blocking healthy growth. I think in a similar way, Paul is writing to Timothy that this, what was unhealthy, what doesn't promote 
vitality in the Christian walk, what doesn't promote healthiness in the Christian faith, this needs to be removed. So he's going to tell these, these false teachers, don't devote themselves and, and charge people not to devote themselves to this. You need to have good, healthy, solid doctrine. This is kind of a picture that I got of what Paul is writing in Timothy. This is a similar concept we see. Paul wants Timothy to correct, to remove teaching that doesn't accord with health, with godliness, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants, he wants Timothy and those in Ephesus and those in church leadership to cultivate a, a kind of church that is healthy, that's growing, that is in accord with the gospel of Jesus. So he tells Timothy to charge certain persons, don't teach any different doctrine. Doctrine is a word that just means teaching. Don't let them teach anything that's different. Stop those who are teaching what is contrary to the truth, is what Paul is writing. And not just different teaching, but he says, don't devote yourself to or waste your time in endless discussions about myths and genealogies. Myths here might be a reference about characters or leaders in, in the history of the Old Testament uh, found in extra biblical Jewish writings. There was this speculation about these legends or these stories of, of things that, aren't, that weren't in the Old Testament scriptures, but they were you know, legends about them. So people would speculate about this, this origin or genealogies might have been to a similar thing. They might speculate kind of family trees or spiritual pedigrees. It, it might've been about the origins of the world, right? You might liken it to endless discussions and conversations of the nature of Genesis 1, right? Literal seven days, ages, right? How did this all work? And there's, there can be so many speculation and endless discussion about this, Right? Or think about those who might be affixed with the book of Revelation, <laughs> and they give their life to studying something that is very controversial, but they know the right way, and they promote their beliefs, and there's this endless speculation about these kind of topics. Right? Picture someone who is consumed in a kind of niche news outlet, and they have been, they've filled their mind with speculations about world events, government, Right? conspiracies, and over-focus on the political arena, right? You, you could do a quick look at Facebook or Twitter or Reddit, and you'll see these problems are still very much alive, right? We can devote ourselves to endless discussion on myths and genealogies. Paul's point is that God's plan, the stewardship from God, in, in the Greek, it's this word, <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I didn't write out the Greek word. But it's where we get the word, I realize I didn't do that in my notes. It's where we get the word economics. It's like economion, something like that. It's where we get the word economics. And Paul is talking about here this management from God, this administration, the responsibility of management. He's saying God's management, the stewardship from God, the plan of God is not worked out in myths. It's not worked out in genealogies. It's not worked out in speculations. It's by faith. Myths, speculations, vain discussions, they don't advance the plan of God. They don't advance the stewardship of God. The plan of God is about God saving, God redeeming, God reconciling all things to himself. God calling a people to a, a new life. It's received by faith, a restored relationship that looks like conformity to the image of his son, Jesus. Speculations, genealogies, don't do that. Not only the, what I, I would say, I, I can confidently stand upon what Paul's writing in the word of God. I've seen this experientially. I haven't had a friend that has dove in head first into conspiracy theories and come out more godly. I haven't seen them grow in love for others or love for their community. 
<laughs> if anything, it leads to a kind of self-righteousness, a kind of superiority, a kind of, oh, you don't really know. You haven't heard. And there can be all kinds of things, right? 9-11, I'll just stop it right there. Right? There's all kind, you guys know, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories out there. Paul's aim, Paul's goal is not speculation. This doesn't promote godliness. It doesn't promote faith. It's meaningless discussion. Paul's aim, he writes, verse five, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. In other words, the goal of Paul's instruction, the purpose of his writing is love. And love that comes from, it's produced out of these, these three things. Number one, a pure heart. Number two, a good conscience. And number three, a sincere faith. This is what Paul is writing to Timothy, that, that this kind of love might be cultivated or motivated in the church. Love in the Christian faith is, is self-giving. It's other-oriented. It, it's a love that extends to enemies. It's a love that is patient. It's not proud. It's a love that overlooks offenses. It's a love that doesn't boast. It seeks to serve. This is the charge. This is the aim of Paul in 1 Timothy, love. And don't, promote, don't promote endless discussions and genealogies. Don't devote yourself to these. The aim of our charge is love. It says, number one, a pure heart. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus believe in the personal work of Jesus. When this happens, their hearts are cleansed. They are given a new heart, a heart of purity. Their heart is changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. A heart that was once, once set on self has been transformed by the love of Jesus to grow in love for God and for others. Secondly, they also have a good conscience, a conscience that is clean, a conscience that's not marred and stained and burdened with guilt and shame. They have had their, their conscience clean. They have a clear sense of right and wrong from Jesus' teaching and his word. And, and finally, number three there, it says, a love that comes from a sincere faith, a faith that isn't hypocritical. A guy by the name of Philip Jensen writes in a book called First Timothy for You. He says, faith is more than intellectual agreement. It includes that, but it's much more. For it involves trusting, relying, and redeeming upon another person. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but disobedience. Not uncertainty so much as double-mindedness. The double-mindedness of trying to serve two masters simultaneously. The word there, sincere, means unhypocritical. It's not pretended. It's free from pretense or deceit. So to have a sincere faith is not to ever have doubts or struggles or uncertainty. It's to be double-minded, to be hypocritical. It can be expressed as the dad cried out to Jesus when asking him to heal his son. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's a sincere faith. Paul writes in verse six, certain persons by swerving from these, so these things being love that comes from a pure heart, good conscience and sincere faith, have wandered away into vain discussion. So you see this idea brought up again, that controversial speculations, repeated swerving, wandering off, it's unproductive, it's fruitless, it's useless. Verse seven, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Notice, they want to be teachers of the law. Notice that's what Paul writes. It could be described as moralistic or legalistic, not teachers of the gospel. 
not ministers of Jesus, not teachers of faith in Jesus. Paul says they don't understand what they're talking about. They don't even know the things to which they make such confident claims. Paul describes now what the law is for. These, these people want to be teachers of the law, but they don't really even know what they're talking about. This is what the purpose of the law is for. Verse eight, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Notice what Paul says. The law is good if one uses it lawfully, but the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless. You can think about the purpose of the law like you might think about a plumb line or a level. So I can put a level up to a shelf and it can tell me if that shelf is level or not. I can be kind of particular in my house. One of the things I like to do is take a small level and go about and make sure that all the pictures look good, right? Be a little OCD sometimes. but I can't put a level on a wall. I can't put a level on a cabinet. I can't put a level on a picture frame and the level automatically makes the picture level. You can't put a plumb line on a wall and the plumb line is going to make the wall plumb. It can't, can't fix something that's crooked. That's not straight. This is the purpose of the law. You can put a level up to a shelf and it can tell you, man, this thing is not level, but it cannot fix the shelf. That's not level. The law is not intended to make us level. The law was not intended to, to change what needs to be changed, but to reveal it. The law reveals our sin, but it cannot fix our sinfulness. It reveals our self-centeredness, but it can't change our self-centeredness. And Paul lists out their examples, sins that are against the law. Primarily, you could, you could say these are sins that are against the Ten Commandments. Striking your father and mother, murder, sexual immorality, lying, enslavers. But then he says this at the end of verse 10, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. <laughs> it's kind of a junk drawer term. You guys have a junk drawer in your house? You don't really know where the stuff goes. You just throw it in there and then shut it. So this kind of a junk drawer term. Anything else that's contrary to sound doctrine. And, and the sense in which the word sound is used connotates the idea of healthy, healthy doctrine, life-giving teaching, to be correct or free from disease, to be healthy. The sins that are listed here do not lead to the health in relationship. They don't lead to flourishing in community. They don't lead to the well-being of humanity. This is a kind of false teaching, false doctrine that destroys spiritual health and church vitality. And it's not in accordance with the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Paul writes. Because Paul knows and, and writes here, I think that the gospel is the key for the understanding, correctly handling of God's law. Pastor Kent Hughes states this, the gospel entrusted to Paul and to us is the only answer to the dark, impossible, sin-stricken pathology of the human heart. All healthy, life-giving theology accords with this glorious gospel of grace. So I think that Paul is writing to Timothy. He's passionate about this because Paul is a man who has tasted and seen the grace of Jesus Christ. 
It is the grace of Jesus Christ that changed his life, that set him on this trajectory to advance and to spread this gospel of grace to all those who might hear and listen. And he is saying, those who promote false speculation, those who promote teachers of the law, they haven't seen, tasted, experienced this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't accord with it. It's not with sound doctrine and teaching. The gospel is what produces healthy church life, healthy Christian life, healthy, God-glorifying brothers and sisters in Christ. Not endless speculation and devoting yourself to myths and genealogies and, and the like. What might be the call for us this morning as we study this passage, as we seek to glean principles from 1 Timothy 1 through 11? Think along with Paul, we can say this morning, church, may we devote ourselves first and foremost to the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we seek as a church to be devoted to learn more about the grace of Christ. And yes, there is, there is a, a law, a standard to which God has called us to a design. But the way in which we change, the way in which we call others to change is not heaping guilt and shame and burdens and condemnation on them. It is, as Paul writes to Timothy, the grace and mercy and peace from our Lord Jesus be with you. Amen? The gospel is that although we all stand before the law condemned, we all have been lawbreakers. We have been lawless. We have been listed in this, these descriptions of how Paul writes lawless and disobedient, ungodly and sinners, unholy and profane. We have committed murder according to Jesus. As he says, murder is not, not just the physical act of taking a knife and stabbing someone else. It is the anger that we might have in our heart towards another person. We have all been sexually immoral and not in the sense of maybe we haven't been unfaithful to our, to our spouse or to our partner, but we have been unfaithful in the sense of looking upon others with lustful intent looking upon others in the sense of what can you do for me, not how can I serve you in love? We all have lied. <laughs> That's probably the easiest one. We are listed and, and we were condemned by the law before God. We have not honored our fathers and mothers. We have not lived with God's good design and purposes for sex. We have envied, we have coveted, the list goes on. Yet God in his grace and his peace and his mercy sent his son Jesus to take the condemnation from the law. He suffered as a criminal in our place on our behalf so that if you believe in him, Jesus is condemned and you're not. Jesus takes the punishment for your sins and you don't. You get his life, his righteousness, his good works. That's accredited to you by faith. That's the grace of God. It's not something that we have done. It's undeserved, unmerited, sheer grace. The mercy of Jesus is with us that we don't get what we deserve and the grace of Jesus is with us that we get far more abundantly than we could ever think or imagine. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, teach what accords with that. And church, may we do the same. May we sing, may we celebrate, may we preach in what accords with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who trust in Jesus, those who place their faith in Jesus are those who accept and realize and recognize that under the law, I am condemned. 
By the law, I am condemned. I am out of plumb, out of level. Therefore, I, I need change, and I need someone outside of myself. I need the master carpenter. I need the master contractor to change me. I need help outside of myself. The word that the Bible used to describe this interaction is called repentance. Turning from what you used to believe in and turning towards Christ. Change. And when an individual does this, by the grace of God, through the Holy Spirit, because of the work that Jesus has done, we are given what Paul writes, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And the aim of this charge of the gospel is love. I think this is why Paul to Timothy, and this is the same call to us this morning, do not devote yourself to any other teaching which promotes speculation rather than the gospel from God that is by faith. Don't swerve from the charge of love, pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Don't wander away into vain discussion. Teach, believe, follow sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. That is what is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God to which the church has been entrusted with this message. The mark of sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, is not a kind of pride and self-righteousness that says, wow, would you believe what the church down the road is preaching? We're so much better than them. Would you believe the kind of teaching that's out there? A kind of uh, puffed upness? I think the mark of sound doctrine and healthy doctrine is what Paul writes here, a church that's growing in love. Church that's growing in, in pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. The church that's growing in a love for God and a love for their fellow members and believers. A, a love that's growing for their community. If these things aren't happening, a love for God and love for others, we have to examine what kind of teaching is being taught in that setting. It, it might not be as God intended in the sense sound doctrine, healthy doctrine that promotes this life of love and godliness and, and mercy and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ is what Paul told Timothy. And I want to end, church, this morning with this same words. Grace, Percy, Percy. <laughs> peace, and mercy. Yes. Thank you. Let's live in accordance with this gospel of the glory of the blessed God and let our charge, let our aim, let our purpose be love. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Lord, I'm excited about what you will teach us as we study it, as we consider it, as we think about it, as we meditate on it. Lord, we, we do want to know how we ought to behave in the household of God. We want to be a people that are shaped and, and marked and governed by your scriptures. We believe that the words from the Apostle Paul to Timothy are just as relevant and applicable and true trustworthy and authoritative as they were 2,000 years ago. Would you help us as a, as a church to be marked and shaped by Jesus? Lord, would our, would our purpose, would our aim be, be love? A love that is growing for you, a love that is growing for those in this family of faith, a love that is growing for those outside of these walls, a love that's growing for our community, for our neighbors. Would you help us to love our neighbors as ourselves? Lord, would you, by your grace, would you, would you give us the humility 
and the discernment and the clarity to not swerve into different teachings. Would you help us to be a church that, that helps each other focus and fix our eyes on Jesus? Lord, I'm so thankful for what you have done in, in the life of this church, in what you are doing. I'm thankful for the ways in which you are changing us and shaping us to be more and more like Jesus. Lord, I see evidence of grace in this church body. And I ask that you continue to bless us and to give us grace and to help us to follow you, to be more like you, and to point others to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.